once again to Psalm 25 as we come to the conclusion of this wonderful psalm. Follow with me as I read, beginning in verse 1. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul. Guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Four weeks ago when we began studying Psalm 25, I told you that this psalm is referred to as a lament or a lament psalm. Uh, A lament is a prayer. It is a godly complaint that comes from a soul that is in pain. Lament complains to God, but not about God. In his book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, Mark Vrogop defines lament as this, a prayer in pain that leads to trust. It is the path from heartbreak to hope. And then he goes on to explain the four basic parts of a biblical lament, and we see all of them in this final portion of the psalm, verses 14 through 22. So let me just review that with you. The four basics of lament. What is a lament? 
You'll find these in the Lament Psalms. You find typically all four of these, sometimes in this order, not always. But it begins with a turning to God. It's a deliberate turning to God to talk to Him about what hurts. Talking to Him about life hurts. And then there's a complaint, which is a godly complaint. It's being specific. It's telling God what is wrong. It's complaining to God, but not about God. So it's turning to God, understanding that he knows best. He knows the things that we are struggling with, the troubles of our lives, We talk to him about it. We complain. We be specific about what hurts. Then we ask. We plead with God for help and deliverance. This is where two and three are so tied together. If we're not being honest about what hurts, if we're not talking to the Lord and being specific about our troubles, it's going to be difficult to ask him for the right kind of help. And then it ends with trust, which is being confident in God's trustworthiness. And there are many lament psalms, and they're tremendous blessing to work through, especially in times of suffering as you see the freedom that God in his word gives to us to be honest with him in the midst of our pain. To stop pretending that everything is fine. To always have a smiling face on because that's what good Christians do. But to get honest with God and talk to him about the things that really hurt. This is a lament And that's what Psalm 25 is. And I hope in the future to do one of these uh, from time to time, just work through a psalm of lament, because I think that it is a language, a biblical language, that we don't understand very well. And because we don't understand it very well, we don't practice it very well in our own lives and in our own uh, church, even. Appreciate the mixture of lament psalms that Josiah has intentionally introduced to us the last few years, giving us those occasions to, in our heart, voice to God what is hurting, that we might trust him and turn to him. So lament is the language of the heart that is confused, the heart that is disappointed, the heart that is hurting, but chooses to turn upward instead of inward. Some of us, I include myself in this, some of us have the habit of turning inward when we are in pain, and if we stay there too long, it is self-destructive. Instead of turning inward, we need to turn upward. Because if you turn inward, you will get stuck in your grief If you stay there too long, you'll get struck, stuck in your grief, unable to move on in a healthy way. Biblical lament helps you get unstuck to talk to God 
about what hurts, to run to him. Lament is the language you need to practice so that you grow in a trusting relationship with God. The language of lament is a means of developing friendship with the Lord, which is what we see in verse 14. Some have called verse 14 the golden verse of Psalm 25. Look at it. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. What a beautiful term, the friendship of the Lord. What does that mean? What does the Bible mean by that phrase, the friendship of the Lord? Well, it refers to an affectionate relationship that is growing from the obedience of faith. Two-way affection, by the way. God's affection for us, our affection for God. God's affection for us, of course, is perfect and has been perfectly displayed for us on the cross of Christ. Our affection for God needs to grow. It needs to strengthen. It needs to develop. Do you have an affectionate relationship with God? Or is it more of a school relationship where it's just knowledge, no heart? It's characterized by two-way communication. If you're friends with someone, you're going to talk with them, right? They're going to talk with you. The friendship of the Lord involves two-way communication. God speaks to us through his word. We speak to him through prayer. It's quite simple. That's the two-way communication that we have with the Lord. The greatest example of friendship with God that we find in the Bible comes from the life of Abraham. Now, Abraham's friendship with God was founded upon the covenant that God made with Abraham, or Abram at the time that, that he made the covenant, and then Abraham's acceptance of that covenant by faith, his acceptance of the promise of God, his, his belief in the word of God, the promise of God had to be received, it had to be accepted by Abraham for there to be this two-way relationship, this friendship. Genesis 12 says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now remember when Abram received this promise he was a 90 year old childless man or 100 actually when when the son was born but so an old guy really old guy. But he believed the promise of God in simple faith. Trusting that God is a God of his word. This led then to him being justified by faith. According to Romans chapter 4, the apostle writes, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? 
Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now what Paul is doing in that passage in Romans 4 is he is making it very clear to us that there is no way for us to be justified before God on the basis of our works or even any religious rituals. Nothing according to the flesh. Abraham, he says, was declared righteous by God simply because he believed the promise of God. He was justified by faith. That justification by faith then led to works. See, don't get the order reversed. Man-made religion says works lead to justification. The Bible says justification leads to works. I was raised in a man-made religion that taught me that if I did enough good works, that would maybe ultimately lead to my being justified, declared righteous by God, and accepted into his presence. Well, all of the guilt that I felt over all of my sin was evidence that that theology wasn't only unbiblical, but it just wasn't working in my heart. And then God opened my eyes to the gospel. He opened my eyes to the beautiful, beautiful truth that coming to know him is not based upon what we do, 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 but based upon what Jesus has already done, done, done. And we believe in the promise of God by faith. When Abraham was declared righteous based on faith, that led then to a life of good works and righteousness. James chapter 2 talks about this, where it says, You see that faith was active all along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. In other words, faith was made evident by the way that Abraham walked in the obedience of faith. Scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Abraham was called a friend of God. Now according to Galatians 3:7, all who know Christ are linked to Abraham. By faith, we, we are referred to as sons of Abraham. Why? Because we necessarily come through his, his ethnic line? No. Because we have come to God the same way that he came to God, based solely upon faith in God's integrity in keeping his promise. No confidence in ourselves. Only confidence in God. So through faith in Christ, we then are also called God's friends. As friends of God, one author writes, we know him and are known by him. We trust him. We share his interests. We want to spend time with him in Bible reading and prayer When God asks us to do or not do something, we try our best to please him. 
This is part of what it means to be in friendship with the Lord. Well, that brings us to our big idea this morning, and that is this. Trusting God includes cultivating friendship with him, which results in a fruitful spiritual life. As we said weeks ago, this whole psalm is about trusting the Lord, trusting the Lord enough to walk according to his paths. And when we walk according to his paths, it leads to a fruitful life. Now, if the idea of friendship with God makes you a little queasy, thinking, eh, that that sounds kind of irreverent. Well, notice who it's for in verse 14. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. It doesn't say the friendship of the Lord is for those who get so cozy with him that they no longer even think of their sinfulness and they abuse grace. That's not what it says. It says the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. There's this tension in our lives. We fear God. We have reverential awe for him and desire to obey him and love him with all of our heart and at the same time know that in Jesus we are so fully accepted by God that we could never be more accepted because it's all based on Christ. It's not based on our performance. Did you have a good week spiritually? If you did, are you tempted to think you're more accepted by God now than you were last week when it was awful? Our acceptance by God as Christians is based solely upon the work of Christ. So it doesn't matter if you had a good week spiritually or a really lousy week spiritually. We run back to the source of life, which is Christ and his work for us. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. What is the fear of the Lord? What does that mean? Well, one simple definition would be Proverbs 8.13. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. So the f- growing in the fear of the Lord means that we begin to hate what God hates. And there's just a couple things mentioned there in that verse. And of course, there are many more in Scripture. But pride and arrogance and the way of perverted speech. Just a few things that God hates. So as we are growing in the fear of the Lord, we are growing in our friendship with the Lord, and as we are growing in our friendship with the Lord, we will hate the things that God hates and love that which he loves. Some Christians react negatively to this concept of friendship with God because they think it brings God down to our level, but that is not what friendship with God is. 
Instead, friendship with God emphasizes the warmth of relationship that we can have with God. It stems from a life that is growing in humility and the obedience of faith. It is the practical outcome of your heart's surrender to his lordship. The more you surrender your heart to the lordship of Jesus Christ, the more you are walking in fellowship with God and the more you are cultivating this friendship with God. Friendship with God does not change God. It changes us. God is unchangeable. But the closer we get to God, the more holy we will become in word and thought and attitude and life. Do you want to know if you are growing in your friendship with God? Then look at your life. But please go beyond your behavior because it's really easy to elevate yourself above other people based on your behavior compared to theirs. Start looking in the mirror of your heart Say, Lord, what are my attitudes like? What are my desires like? That's when you begin to get to the root of what it means to be saved and transformed by the gospel. Verse 14, all the way to the end of the psalm, reveals three results of cultivating friendship with God. Number one. By cultivating friendship with God, you can thrive in an intimate relationship with God. Notice again verse 14. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. So there's something about this friendship with God that leads to God giving us insight concerning his word. So the closer we are getting to God, the closer we are understanding his word. And then that results then in a shift in our focus. Verse 15, my eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. This friendship with God leads to Thriving in intimate relationship with God. Cultivating this friendship through the walk of faith means walking on his paths, which we learned about last week. So as the obedience of faith becomes the habit of your life, you become fruitful. Uh, let me show you how Jesus described this in John in the Gospel of John, let's start in, in John 14. But Jesus talks about the intimacy of friendship with God. And um, you pick it up in John 14 and verse 21, which correlates then with Psalm 25, 14, the second part of the verse. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them... He it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now look at that scripture. 
What is Jesus saying to us? Well, first he's saying that our obedience to his word is a demonstration of our love for him. If we obey his commandments, then we are the ones who love him. And if we then love him, we will be loved by his father. So now we've got the, the son of God, his love, the father, his love, Apostle Paul will bring the Spirit in specifically about love in Romans 8, but he, it's right here in the context that Jesus is promising to give us the Spirit. And so we have the triune love of God, the love of all three members of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and their love for us. And as we walk in the obedience of faith, there is a love that grows that's the point. We will be loved by the Father, and Jesus says, I will love him, and catch this last phrase, and manifest myself to him. Boy, that sounds a lot like Psalm twenty-five, fourteen, that he will make known his covenant to us. So the more we walk in friendship with God, in fellowship with him, in his word, and in prayer, the closer our relationship becomes, the more sensitive we become to the working of the spirit inside of us, and the more sensitive we become to the surgical instrument of the word of God. Now, look at chapter 15. John 15, verse 12. Well, back it up to 10. I have a hard time knowing where to jump in here. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So that's a little repetitious of 1421. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So now he's tying obedience to joy. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Now he's going from vertical love to horizontal love. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Verse 14, you are my friends. If you do what I command you. You are my friends if you walk in fellowship with me according to my word. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. There's that growth in intimacy of relationship that is leading to fruitfulness. You did not choose me, verse 16, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. 
and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. The friendship of God. What an incredible concept. We will thrive in intimate relationship as we cultivate friendship with God through his word and through prayer. There's a second result. Go back to Psalm 25. By cultivating friendship with God, you can turn to God in confident prayer about your circumstances. Remember I said at the beginning that one of the four basic elements of Lament is turn, to turn to God. In other words, we see the trouble, and instead of turning inward, we turn upward, turning to God in confident prayer about our circumstances. And there are five examples of circumstances. Obviously, this is not an exhaustive list, but it does give us some pretty big categories that we can fit almost anything that we go through into. Verse 16. Turn to God in confident prayer about your circumstances when you are lonely and afflicted. Turn to me and be gracious to me for I am lonely and afflicted. The word lonely means you feel like you're the only one. That's pretty simple to understand, right? Lonely doesn't necessarily mean you are alone. You can be lonely in a crowd. I have found myself there in times. It's a feeling of being alone. In affliction. Refers to being poor and needy and weak or under the power of another person who is unrighteous. I'm lonely and afflicted. Do you ever feel this way? Where do you turn? Do you turn first to God? He knows your troubles. He wants to hear from you. He wants to hear you verbalize your troubles to him. Second example, when you are distressed, verse 17, the troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Distresses means anguish. There's, there's a tie in here with anxiety. It refers to mental aspects of our suffering. And how often I have experienced Verse 17, in this way, that when I am in anguish and anxiety tends to grab hold of my heart, the troubles of my heart are enlarged. Verse 17, they look bigger than they really are. Sometimes they're really big, but anxiety makes them even bigger. I do as Jesus warned us not to do. I bring tomorrow's troubles into today, and so now I have double trouble. Psalm 102, verses 1 and 2. Here's another example. Hear my prayer, O Lord. 
Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. See, the mental aspects of suffering that we go through in this earthly life of of being body-soul combo, these, these mental aspects of suffering are intended to drive us to God. That's where we should run. Job is an example of this. Job 3.26, after the result of immeasurable loss and excruciating physical bodily pain from head to toe, it says. He also experienced deep levels of anxiety. And he says, I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. When your heart feels as Job felt, where do you turn? Turn in confidence to God. Even the Apostle Paul experienced burdens that he said were beyond his strength. When you are distressed, turn to God in confident prayer. Third example, when you need forgiveness, verse 18. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. I find this to be really a significant placement of this verse obviously by the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit who wrote the scriptures through men because so often in our lives when we are in the midst of suffering and troubles even if they are not brought upon ourselves through our sin our sin so quickly mixes in in the way that we respond I have been guilty of this more times than I obviously can be conscious of. But when we are in the midst of troubles that are bad enough, we make them worse when we respond to those troubles in a sinful way. And so now we've got a mixture of my sin, his sin, my sin, her sin, my sin, their sin, my sin, suffering as just part of this wicked world. And we need the discernment of God to figure out, okay, what's my part in this that I need to honestly deal with before God? And what is the rest that I need to trust God with? Hard to do. And that's where many times we need each other to graciously speak truth into each other's lives because we all have blind spots. So what is David doing? He's, he's honestly <clears throat> evaluating himself. He's saying, what is my contribution to my current troubles? How have I sinned in the midst of my current troubles? Maybe he didn't bring the troubles on himself, but he responded to them in a sinful way. Either way, he's got his own guilt before God that he needs to deal with. And so he runs to God. And there are many psalms that are 
beautiful psalms of confession. Um, Josiah, two Sundays in a row, read from Psalm 51, one of the most beautiful psalms of confession and repentance. Psalm 32 is another wonderful psalm of confession. When you don't know how to confess your sin, I encourage you, pray Psalm 51 to God. Pray Psalm 32 to God. David writes, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. In other words, when I was too proud to admit I was wrong, I felt the effects in every part of my being. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Speaking of God disciplining David, but him being too proud to submit to the discipline of God. And then verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Turn to God. Turn to him when you need forgiveness. His mercy is always more which we sang about earlier. A fourth example is when you have personal enemies. Turn to God in confident prayer about your circumstances when you have personal enemies. Verse 19, Consider how many are my foes, and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul. Deliver me. Let me not be be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. Notice what he prays for. He doesn't just pray for deliverance from his hateful enemies, but he prays it in the midst of being attacked by people that his own soul is guarded by God. So that his own soul remains right with God. Of course, Psalm 23 is a beautiful example of this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my, what? Enemies. That's friendship with God. God preparing a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And then finally, when you need strength to maintain your testimony, turn to God. Verse 21. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Lord, as I wait for you to bring about your will through these troubles, preserve me. Preserve my testimony. Help me to walk in integrity. Help me to walk uprightly regardless of foes regardless of inner or outer trouble, guard my soul. Keep my heart clean and right with you. Preserve me, for I wait for you. We've talked about this concept of waiting on God quite a few times in this psalm. It's an act of trust. It's not waiting around doing nothing. It's not kicking up the the spiritual recliner of your life and just sitting there. It's actively 
going after God in prayer through his word, trusting him. I will trust you, Lord. There's a third result of friendship with God. Number three, trust God with your unresolved troubles. It's interesting that this particular lament psalm ends the way most of them do in the sense that it's a declaration of trust, but also you notice there's no resolution. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all of his troubles. It doesn't say, and God redeemed Israel and they had trouble no more. It doesn't say that. It ends with a prayer for resolution, redemption, Redeem, what a beautiful concept, what a beautiful word. It means to buy back something that once belonged to you. And that's what God has done for us in Christ. He went into, Jesus went into the slave market of sin and purchased us with his own blood. We now belong to him. He is now our Lord. So with eyes of faith, King David looks to the ultimate redemption that awaits Israel in the coming of her Messiah. That is surely what is in his mind in verse 22. Redeem Israel, O God. He knows that there is no redemption for Israel apart from the Messiah. And the writers of the New Testament often do the same thing for us. They direct us to redirect the focus of our hearts to the promises of God that will be brought to us in completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let me just show you one example of this. Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. Notice how the Apostle Paul directs us to redirect. (laughs) He directs us to redirect the focus of our hearts, especially in times of trouble. Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So suffering in the present Glory to be revealed in the future. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Sometimes trouble hits us like a tidal wave and and sometimes it it sneaks up unnoticed and, and it can leave us like feeling like a toddler who's learning to walk for the very first time. So we learn to walk with God. But we learn to trust God in the unresolved troubles of life by moving forward in obedience, putting one foot in front of the other, learning to walk on his paths. It takes time. May I say it takes a lifetime. That's why we need one another to help each other in this walk of faith. I'm going to ask Josiah to come to the piano and and illustrate this for us. Um, He's just going to play the melody of a well-known song. You just listen, don't sing, listen.
What does your heart want? It wants the last note. You want, you want that resolution, don't you? Every major key, Josiah taught me, has what's called a home note, also called the tonic. It's where you feel at home. The last note of Amazing Grace is the home note. Folks, listen to me. As long as we are living in this world, we will not feel fully at home. The home note comes later. We live the Christian life between the last two notes of the song. There's tension. We long for the resolve. Resolve that note, will you? You know, that's what we want. Do you feel it in those last few notes? Listen. And so we say, Lord, bring me the resolution. (laughs) Bring me the culmination. Bring it home, Lord. And while we wait for home, we learn to lament with God. We live in this already but not yet. So I hope that this series in Psalm 25 has been helpful to your growth as you learn the biblical language of lament and how to talk to God in the midst of trials and suffering. Let's pray. Father, thank you for reminding us today that trusting you doesn't mean sitting back and waiting for you to do everything, but it means actively looking to your word and walking according to your paths. And while we wait for you, we turn to you and we talk to you about how life hurts at times filled with such immeasurable joys when we know Jesus, but oh, also filled with so many hurts in this broken world. Teach us, Lord, to trust you while we wait for your final note of resolution when Jesus returns and makes all wrongs right, judges all evil and rewards all righteous, and gives us the ultimate reward for the obedience of faith in Christ. Cultivate our friendship with you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.